Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, I just want to welcome those who are uh, joining us at our Tempe campus and those joining us online. Whether you're in your living room or our living room, we're just glad that you're with us today. Well, um, this morning we're going to tackle the, uh, the system of the sacrifices from Leviticus. So we're going to go from chapter 1 to chapter 27 in detail and cover all the sacrifices. You guys ready? Yeah. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, actually, will you turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and then we're going to land in Matthew 23. And as you're turning there, I just want to encourage you, get into Leviticus. Leviticus has some treasures hidden in it, and uh, it's the framework for a grace-based sacrificial system that Yeshua, that Jesus epitomizes. So I want to encourage you to dig deep. You know, as you're turning, I also want to say, um, this pandemic thing is kind of driving me a little bit crazy. Uh, do you remember that this time last year, we were going to have a two-week executive order to flatten the curve? Yeah. You remember how long ago that was? That seems like forever ago. And the reality is, is that i got to tell you, um, I've been able to hang on by the skin of my teeth, and I've been grinning and bearing it. And i got to be honest with you, uh, sometimes I've just been faking it. Anybody else can relate to me on that, or is it just me? Well, whether you feel that way now, or you've ever felt that way about anything in all of your life, did you notice that? Ever, anything, all. There's good news for you today. We have some good news for you today, and that good news comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, whether you follow Jesus yet or not, this is good news for all of us. So let's read from verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 4. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think we've heard a lot of good sermons over the years about the reality that Jesus was tempted in all points that we were, we are each and every day, and yet he was without sin. But there's another phrase at the beginning of that that I want to emphasize, that I, I want to dig into a little bit this morning. It says that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, that word that's translated as weaknesses in this translation comes from the Greek word asthenia, asthenia, which could also be translated as frailty or as suffering. Another way to think about it is Jesus can identify. He can sympathize and empathize with our human frailties and with our human weaknesses. He understands what it feels like in our emotions. Now, I think that's incredibly good news. I don't know if I'm the only one or if you're reserving judgment until the end, but I think it's fantastic news. And it's, it, it should inspire in us not a shame about our frailties or our sufferings or our weaknesses. But the writer of Hebrews tells us it should inspire boldness 
or confidence to say that we too have frailties and sufferings and weaknesses and it, it should inspire us with confidence to come before the throne of grace and ask for grace or mercy if we find ourselves in a time of need. I think it's good news for us. Now, it is good news for us, but it requires something of us. It requires us to admit it, to talk to him about it, and to ask for the help that we need. Now, many people I know have a hard time connecting to Jesus and thinking of him as relatable because he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He was without sin. That's so far away from us. I just want to say, he had the experience of a regular person on the earth. He is, can not only understand, but he actually experienced frailty and suffering and weakness. Now, he is totally divine and without sin. <laughs> so he's a little different than you and me. But his ability to connect to us as humans is something that I think is beautiful, encouraging, and I hope will inspire confidence and boldness and are asking for help in time of need. You know, when Pastor Preston started this series, he talked about the hypostatic union. You guys remember that? Fancy theological term. And I think he started this series about a year and a half ago. But I'll say that Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man, and he can relate to us. So the title of my talk this morning is Jesus the Human. Jesus the Human. And I think it's important in times like these when there's struggles and when there's hardship and all the things that are going on in our world and in our country and in our lives that we understand or connect to him and his humanity so that it can serve us to be willing to pour out our hearts to him so that he can meet us and help us in the challenges of our lives. Now we're gonna explore three aspects of his humanity this morning, mostly from the gospels, actually almost exclusively from the gospels. And you might say, well, why? Troy, why are you doing this? What are you, know, what are you getting into here? Well, here's my opening statement. I think understanding Jesus in his humanity gives us permission to be not okay sometimes. You know, in our religious life, oftentimes we want to project that we have faith and that we are doing well and that we are strong and mighty, but sometimes we're not. Sometimes we just need permission to be not okay. And I think if we can look at Jesus from the gospel, some of the humanity that we see in the story and the narrative, it will encourage us to be a little more bold and a little more confident to come to the throne of grace when we find ourselves in a time of need. You know, the funny thing is we can't hide it from him anyways. He's omniscient, he knows everything. But the reality is, is, if we come to him and talk about it and confess it, he'll meet us in our time of need. So can we pray together to begin this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you for your loving kindness towards us. We thank you that you thought to send your son to redeem us from sin and also to provide for us a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and with our frailties. Jesus, we ask that you would touch our hearts this morning with the sympathy and the empathy and the identification that you can make with us as pe people. We love you. 
And we ask that you would strengthen us. Holy Spirit, we say, lead us into all truth. In the name of Yeshua, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my first point this morning, the first thing I'm going to look at about Jesus' humanity is that Jesus is a family member. Jesus belongs to a family. Now, some of you are like, whoa, did we come this morning to be pointed out that Jesus belongs to a family? Well, give me a little bit of time, but the idea here is that his, he also was impacted by his family of origin as a man on the earth. You know, a sort of a simple statement that I want to make to begin, and if the psychologists or psychiatrists are here in the room or watching online, I want to say, you might agree with me and please diagnose me later. This is the statement. The impact of our family of origin are on our development as people cannot be overemphasized. You might be thinking, oh no, did I come for a psychological training and something where he's going to get all down into my business? No, I'm not. But I do think that the Lord sometimes needs to help us get healed of things that have happened in our families. Why? Because it affects the way we relate to him as a father or the way we can connect to Jesus perhaps as a brother, <laughs> a divine, an older brother, but a brother nonetheless. You know, I, I thought maybe before we dug into the scriptures that I just read a, a quote from a child psychologist. This child psychologist is named Bob Keeshan. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but I know him as Captain Kangaroo. He said this, parents are the ultimate role models for children. Every word, every movement, and every action affects them. No other person or outside force has a greater influence on a child than a parent. I think that's fantastic. The responsibility of parenthood, I gotta say, has changed my life and probably changed many of our lives. But if, we're, if you're not parents, you are a child and you know that your parents affect you. That's bet for better and it's for worse. And if your story is that your parents have impacted you for better, I just want to say, amen. It's such a blessing. I hope you take advantage of that in every way. And I pray that you call your parents later on today and say thank you. I'll also say that if that's your story, maybe some of what we could talk about is how you could pray for other people who you know are struggling. But you know, there are many of us who have not had the four better experience with our parents. And I just want to say, Jesus can relate to you. He had a mom and a stepdad and brothers, and it's something that's in the composition of who he is as a man, for better or for worse, that he had to work through. And the Gospels tell record of some of those stories. I want to begin by looking at John chapter 2. John chapter 2, if you want to turn there, you can, or it'll be on the screen. It's, this is at, right before Jesus goes into ministry. The wedding at Cana. Do y'all remember the wedding at Cana? One or two of you, that's great. I just want to say, <laughs> Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine when they ran out of wine at the wedding party. There's a lot of thoughts in that that I'm not going to get into, but I just think it's interesting, not only that water into wine is his first miracle, but he has an interaction with his mom that I find also enlightening. Let's read from verse uh, three of John chapter two. And when they, that is the partiers, ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus, Miriam, said to him, they have no wine. Now, 
think about Jesus the human for a minute, Jesus, Jesus the family member. He turns to his mom and he says, woman, mother, what does your concern have to do with me? My time has not yet come. His mother then totally ignored whatever he just said and said to the servants, whatever he says to you, will you please do it? Will you do it? Actually, she doesn't ask a question. She makes a demand. Do you see that Miriam, that Mary is pushing Jesus, Yeshua, into ministry? Like, this is Jewish mom in full effect. (laughs) Uh, Or Italian mom or Romanian mom. Like, this is moms everywhere. And the funny thing is, is, is you remember last time we were together, I talked about Luke 2 where Jesus left Miriam and Joseph uh, for a couple of days by staying behind in Jerusalem. I wonder actually if this is Miriam's revenge for that incident back then. Maybe not. But it's funny, she's pushing him, and Jesus, Yeshua's response is, hey, mom, don't push me. And then he does it anyways. (laughs) And all the moms in the room are like, of course he did it anyways. We were right. Yes, Miriam was right. But Jesus had to process something in that moment. Can any of you relate to a mom like that? Like, I got a great relationship with my parents. But I will say that from time to time in my history, my mom has pushed me a little bit. Now, for you, it might not be your mom. Maybe it's your dad or your grandparent or like a mentor, father, mother figure. You know, Jesus can relate to those feelings. I wonder sometimes... Again, for better or for worse, we have a voice in our heads that's from our parents that's propelling us forward. And and, and I wonder, do any of us have a voice that needs to be replaced by the voice of the Holy Spirit in this area? I just want you to know, Jesus can identify. He can sympathize with that experience and you can boldly go to his throne of grace, confess it to him and ask him to touch that place in your heart and in your life. You know, Jesus also had siblings. He had brothers, half-brothers to be specific. And I want to read from John 7, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, of the experience that Jesus had in interacting with his brothers. This is verse 3. His brothers therefore said to him, Jesus, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Do you see that his brothers are mocking him a little bit there? You know, John actually tells us in verse 5, the next verse, that the reason that they're mocking him is because his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus said to his brothers what he said to his mom. Hey, hey, my time hasn't come yet. Don't push me. Can any of you relate to that in a relationship with a sibling perhaps? You know, the funny thing is, is Jesus' answer to his brothers was the same as to his mom. Hey, it's not my time yet, but then he went and did it anyways. Now, brothers, you can't say the same thing as moms. Like, of course he did. Because we often just get in wrestling matches, you know. Man, when I was 20, I went and repented to my brother for all the terrible things that I did to him as a kid. He forgave me, but... He punched me real hard one time first. Uh, Jesus can relate to an experience like that. Maybe for you, it's not your brothers. Maybe it's your sister. You know, you got family dinners coming up. Maybe a lot of family gatherings coming up for Easter. And you feel like, oh no, we gotta have that conversation again. Jesus can connect with you on that issue. I think that's great news for us. 
The reality is we just got to talk to him about it and he can identify and sympathize with those feelings that we have. Now there's one more verse from the gospels that I want to read, but first I just want to set up a little bit of context. This is when Jesus is first stepping into the fullness of his ministry. It's the beginning of his career, if you will. And, and, you know, some people have been healed. A few demons have been cast out. He's preaching with authority and the crowds have gathered. He's set apart his 12-person ministry team. He's raising support, going all around the country, doing ministry. Things are going really great. And then his family shows up. And, And I don't know if you've ever seen this from Mark 3 before, But in Mark 3, verse 21, it says this. But when his own people, that is his family, heard about this, this being all the wonderful things that were happening for him as a minister, they went out to lay hold of him for they said, he is out of his mind. What in the world is going on here? Jesus in his place of ministry and his family hearing about his success, their response initially was, he's mad, he's out of his mind, he's crazy, we need to commit him. I added the commit him part, that's not actually. I just wonder, has anybody ever had their family say that about you? I mean, you became a believer and your family's like, oh man, she's gone off the deep end. I mean, he's nuts now. He's just a crazy white right winger. Well, you know, in the Jewish community, that's like a real deal for us. When we come to faith in Yeshua, oftentimes our family will put us away and tell, her, tell us that we're no longer part of the Jewish people. Like, it's super intense how deep that is in some of us. And I just want to say, Jesus can connect with you on that feeling. You can talk to him about it, and he can talk to you about it from firsthand experience. He can sympathize and empathize and connect with you on that so that he can minister to that in your heart and in your life. Well, Troy, I'm not a a minister. I, I didn't get called into ministry. I'm not Jewish. I don't know how to relate to that story. Well, what about entrepreneurs? Any entrepreneurs in the room that you started out your business and your mom and dad or your aunts and uncles or whatever, it was like, you're leaving the 401k and benefits? Are you crazy? What about influencers? Did your family go, I didn't even know you could make money doing that? What about those who gave up a budding business career to become a hero called a teacher who gets paid nothing? What what about some parents that, you know, your, your, your career track was building and the Lord said to you or you decided that you should become a stay at home parent and your family's reaction was like, cuckoo. Jesus knows how to connect with you on that. He understands and he can identify with you and sympathize in it. You know, just let me make a summary statement before we move to point two. And this is just two sentences, even though it might read like a paragraph on the screen. Jesus had to deal with his family and their impact on his life and his identity in order to fulfill his foreordained purpose in life. He can identify with us in the reality of our own struggles with family dynamics. Jesus knows how to sympathize, empathize, connect, identify with us so that he can minister to that and bring healing and wholeness to our hearts and minds. Now I wanna move on to the second 
aspect of Jesus's humanity that I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. Again, a few verses from the Gospels where the story's written. That's Jesus the man. Now, now I, I'm not talking about gender here. So, so women, ladies, please don't disqualify yourself. Don't disconnect. I'm talking about the fact that Jesus was a regular person who faced regular things in life. You notice the air quotes. Of course, he's 100% divine. I'm not trying to take that away from him. I'm just saying in the story of the gospels, we see him go through regular things in life that he knows how to connect with us on those issues. John chapter 11 is where I wanna read from to begin. This is the story of Lazarus' death. Remember, Lazarus is a good friend of Yeshua, of Jesus, and he dies. And it says this in verse 33 of John 11. Therefore, when Jesus saw her, that is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, weeping, and the Jewish people who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Verse 35 happens to be the shortest verse in scripture. Jesus wept. Jesus is having a normal and human emotional response to the death of his friend. Now, I've read some theologians that say that the reason he wept is because the people didn't have enough faith. The reason he was troubled is because they didn't understand that he was the Messiah. Perhaps, I just think that's a little bit too complicated. I think he was just sad. And it doesn't say that he was just sad. It says that he was troubled and that he groaned like deep down in here. Have y'all ever had that experience where someone passes and, and it, like, it impacts you so deep? Jesus can identify with that. You know, another thing that moved his emotions here was his ability to empathize with Mary and Martha and the people who were mourning his death. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Like he knew that Lazarus was going to come back to life and not in an eventual way, like 1 Thessalonians 4 encourages us. Hey, be comforted with the fact that there's going to be a resurrection one day. Be comforted with the fact that we've said yes to Jesus and he's invited us into eternal life. Like Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to be resurrected from the dead right now. And yet he still had a deep emotional response and grieved that his friend had died and the impact that his death had on his immediate family. You know, here's my statement about that. Jesus grieved the loss of someone he loved. I think in his grief and in his mourning, he gives us permission to grieve the loss of those we love. Have you lost someone that you love to COVID? Have you lost someone recently due to a tragedy? Have you just lost someone that you care for because of the age of life and it was just their time and it was totally a peaceful death for them? I just want to say, Jesus knows how to connect with you on grief and on mourning. I said this earlier, but sometimes I feel like as believers, our religiosity prevents us from grieving the loss of those because we want to just pretend like it's a celebration. It will be a celebration one day. I, I, yes, and amen to that. And we can be comforted by the thought of that day when it comes, but there's real grief now that Jesus knows how to connect with us on. I want to look at two passages from the Garden of Gethsemane scene. 
One's from Matthew 26, and in a minute we'll turn over to Luke 2, see it from a little different perspective and with a little more, uh, a few different words. So in Matthew 26, in verse 37, this is after the Last Supper, uh, the Passover meal that he shared with his disciples. He, Jesus, took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he, Jesus, said to the three that were with him, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Verse 39, he went a little further, fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Do you notice that it says, not just that he was sad or sorrowful, he was exceedingly sorrowful. That's the way that Matthew describes his, his condition. And then Jesus with his own words says, I, I'm, I, I'm exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Like it's pretty intense. I, I wonder if we could say that Jesus being exceedingly sorrowful, we could just say he was depressed. He saw into the future what the next 24 hours held for him and the 72 hours after that when he was down in the grave and he thought, man, this depresses me and stresses me out. And he says to the father, hey, daddy, can we come up with a different way? Like, I, I don't really like this situation. Is there some other way that we can get this done? My, my summary statement is this. Jesus dealt with sorrow and stress, and Jesus asked the Father to make another way. C can you identify with that in seasons of your life where you're like, man, I'm totally depressed and stressed out, and I don't really like what God's putting me through. Like, I, I don't like it. I, I don't like what he's asking me to do. I'm not excited about the future and the things that I see ahead. I just want you to know, Jesus can identify with you in that. Like it's real and it's personal for him. He has first person experience of feeling the way that you do from time to time. <laughs> he is a high priest who can sympathize and empathize with us. He knows what it feels like. And you know, there's something else that I, I think is interesting about this passage. Jesus wants to back out. Like he's like, I don't, I think I said yes to this, but I'm not sure that I like that I agreed to this plan. I, I mean, I, I felt that way from time to time. I, I don't know if you, you have, but the reality is I have a high priest that I can reach up to and ask for grace and mercy in my time of need, and he will help me. And it inspires confidence. It gives me boldness to take life by the horns even when I don't like it. Can we look over in Luke 22? Same story, just a little bit of a different take, Luke's perspective on it or the way that Luke had heard it told to him. In verse 41, it says, and he, Jesus, was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here too, Jesus is asking for another way. Actually, this is just one of the three times in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus says, hey, can we do this some other way? 
He doesn't want to face it. And, and I'm thinking about the time frame. For, for Jesus, he's known that the cross was happening, John tells us, from before the foundation of the world. Like he knew it was coming a long time. He's had the whole biblical narrative, all 6,000 years of human history, 4,000 years of human history at that point, to prepare for this moment. And he gets there and he's like, I don't want to do it. Man, that normalizes for me the times where I'm like, God, I know you said I should do this, but I don't want to. I really don't want to. And Jesus had a long time to prepare for it. Now, here's the funny thing. For him, an angel comes down from heaven and ministers to him. I, I don't know. That's a pretty great privilege that he had. You know, when I'm struggling with, with depression or stress or I wanted things to get done a different way, I haven't yet had an angel encounter me. The angel comes down and strengthens him. And you know what? It's not enough. Like Jesus is says right after the angel came and strengthened him, he was still in agony. <laughs> but his response to the agony, oh, and sweating great drops of blood. What is that called? I, I had wrote it down. Hematidrosis. It's a real medical condition of stress that's so great that blood starts coming out of the pores. He, he's so stressed out, doesn't want to do it, but he, does, he doesn't say no. He says yes. And you know, the funny thing is, is he asked the father to change it, and the father's answer was no. He said, I'm not going to change it, son. We agreed to this a long time ago. I know it's hard right now, but I've got something that I want to accomplish by your willingness to go through this. I mean, what if the father would have said yes to Jesus' request. This is a little bit of a theological bunny trail, but we wouldn't have had the moment when Jesus walked into the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood and made atonement once and for all. I'm so grateful that the Father said no to this prayer of Jesus. So here's the summary statement. Jesus heard the Father say no to his prayers and still said yes back. Oh, that's challenging me right now. Do I say yes to the Father when he doesn't answer my prayers or when he answers my prayers with a solid no? I hope that we do because like Jesus, sometimes he wants to use things in our lives to accomplish a greater purpose. And when I think of this no, I, I, I wanna start playing Garth Brooks. Thank God for unanswered prayers. Like, thank God for it. But Jesus can identify with us when we're in moments like that. He can sympathize, empathize, and understands our frailty, the way that we're suffering in that moment and our weaknesses. Now that brings me to the third and final aspect of Jesus's humanity that I want us to think about a little bit this morning. And maybe it's one that you've never really thought about or considered before. It's different than the other two in that it's not about something he experienced that he can identify with us in, but rather it's the reverse. Maybe it's something in his heart as a human that we've never connected to his heart on before. And the third point of my talk this morning is Jesus, the son of Israel. Jesus, the son of Israel. You know, my favorite thing about America, and I mean this sincerely, is the ethnic diversity that we contain within one country. I think it's incredible. I love that there are so many cultures and so many ways of being American. 
I think it's super fantastic. You know, and, and I, I feel like Jesus, uh, we, we sometimes miss that he too has a people that he connects to. He, he, he's a part of a tribe of people that move his heart in a particular and a specific way. You know, I'm longing for a Revelation 7 moment. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Revelation 7 is the, the sons of Israel together with a multitude of every tribe and every tongue, every language, every culture, every style of worship, worshiping a glorified Jesus. That's going to be an extraordinary day. And you know, the funny thing is, is we get a foretaste of that every weekend right here at Gateway. I'm so excited about that reality. And I think it's important that we put Jesus in the context of his own people sometimes so that we can connect to his heart for them in a specific way. I'm gonna read from Matthew nine to start. It says this in verse 35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages of Israel, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. If you remember our Hebrew lesson from last time, Malchut HaShemayim, he's preaching it. People are getting healed. There's miracles and deliverances. And his response is compassion. His response is to be burdened because the people are like sheep without a shepherd. You know, Pastor Preston said last weekend, Jesus is a good shepherd. I just want you to know I agree with Pastor Preston because we agree on the scripture. And you know, the thing that Preston said as point number one was that if he's not the good shepherd of Israel, he's not anyone's good shepherd. That's a reality for us that we see the narratives of the gospel demonstrate time and time again. And sometimes maybe that goes over our head some. But I'm hoping we'll connect to his heart a little bit. And it's not only important that we see Jesus as a son of Israel. I think it's important for us to see Jesus in the sweep of the biblical record as a prophet of Israel who's burdened for the people of Israel. And I just want to say he is the God of Israel in the form of a man. He is the protagonist of the biblical record walking alongside of Israel. And he has a great heart for them. I want to read from Jeremiah chapter 9. The only thing not from the Gospels other than where I started in Hebrews 4. I just want to give you a sense of the prophet's burden for the people of Israel. This is Jeremiah 9 chapter 1. I mean, verse one, it says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah has insight, foresight, the word of the Lord that there's coming a destruction of the city of Jerusalem, a dispersion of the kingdom of Judah. And this is his response as a shepherd among the people of Israel. His prophetic response to having foresight from God is that he prays that his head would become waters and his eyes a fountain of tears. You know, I think sometimes people in, in particular parts of, of the body of the church really want to celebrate that maybe they're a prophet. I look at the prophets of Israel and I'm like, whew, thank God I'm not. Jeremiah, it hurts him to see this. What, what, what about 
Hosea. Hosea has to marry Gomer. And I'll leave that for the adult education class some other time. What about Ezekiel? To be a prof, the prophet Ezekiel, he had to uh, lay totally exposed on one side of his body out in front of the temple and then flip over to the other side. Like the prophetic reality of Israel and the prophets of Israel is for a great burden. And our high priest has that burden. I wonder if we can connect with that a little bit more. Let's look at Jesus in Luke 19. Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, one from among the, the people of Israel. In verse 41 of Luke 19, it says this. Now as he, Jesus, drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now those things, they are hidden from your eyes. Like Jeremiah, Jesus weeps. He can foresee what's coming, not just a 70-year destruction, but a 1,900-year destruction, and it moves him to weeping for the city. It's hidden from your eyes. Oh, if only you would see. Maybe some of us feel that way about our own family. Can we dial in with Jesus' heart towards his own family here? Here's my summary statement. Jesus walked in the footsteps of the prophets of Israel and identified with their burden. In fact, as the God of Israel in the form of a man, he walked with them throughout their biblical history and shepherded them all along the way. This isn't a new experience for Jesus. It's just now he got born and he can feel it the same way that you and I feel it for our own people. Which brings us to the last passage from the gospels and the last verse that I'll read this morning. This is Matthew 23, where I asked you to turn in the very beginning. All of these are the words of Jesus. It says in verse 37, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like Jeremiah, Jesus is crying out, to the people of Israel. He's crying out for the city of Jerusalem. You're unwilling to see all that I've done all these years. Now I'm a man among you and I'm ready to give my life for you. Uh, oh, you wish you would know what would make for your peace. But he also prophesies in verse 39. He says, one day you will welcome me in. One day you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're not ready yet, but you will be one day. And I, I wonder if we can connect to the fact that he, Jesus, has kept sending prophets. The God of Israel kept sending prophets. And, and he knew that what they do with prophets is kill them. That's why he was confident that he'd be able to fulfill his own purpose in dying on the tree to redeem Israel and all the nations from their sin. This was their pattern of behavior. And how long has he been doing it? I think it's interesting if we look a little bit into the language, he says, how often? So I wonder if we could think about how often? Well, Lord, how often has it been? Well, a long time, I think. You know, he says, how often I've wanted to gather you in as a hen gathers in her chicks under her wings. 
As, as a hen broods over her children, so I want to brood over you. And I've wanted it. How often? For a long time. Now, I don't know if you could pick up on the imagery. In Greek, the idea of gathering chicks under her wings is a long phrase. In Hebrew, it's just one word. It's the idea of hovering. We sang that song earlier. As the spirit hovers over the water, so we ask, come and hover over us. The reality is, is I think Jesus is drawing on that imagery to say how often he's wanted to gather his people Israel in. He's wanted to gather them in since in the beginning. That's my uh, summary statement here before we close. Jesus has been waiting for the fullness of his own desires for his own people since in the beginning. Can I tell you a little story about myself? God made me a promise one time. You know, and actually, I'll tell you, it was about finding a wife. I really wanted to get married. I was 30 and I wasn't married. And it was totally my fault. But that's another story. Uh, and I was six months into that process. Jen, I'm so glad he brought you along. I got to say thank you for saying yes to him. Even when you might have wanted to say no. But Lord, I mean, I'm just wrestling with him. I, I'm exceedingly sorrowful and deeply distressed. Lord, you made me this promise. It's been six months. What's going on here? Oh, little chick, he lovingly said to me. Six months. Oh, I can identify. Oh, son, it's so hard. I know, it's so troubling. <laughs> but you know, little chick, I've been waiting 6,000 years and I haven't gotten the dream of my heart yet. I haven't been able to receive my bride yet, little chick. I've been waiting a long time. So you're six months. Oh, I can identify with you in that. Oh, the loving correction of the Lord. But you got to wait a little longer, son. Just a little bit longer. You know, I'm so grateful for all the ways that Jesus and his humanity can identify and sympathize with my frailties, with my sufferings, and with my weaknesses. I hope you also are encouraged by that fact. You know, I'm also aware of the parts of his heart that he's asking me to connect to to identify with and sympathize with in a deeper way. Of course, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, would be something close to my heart, but I don't think it's for the Jewish people alone to carry our, our ethnic connection. I think it's really for all of us here at Gateway, and may I say for the church, uh, the, the worldwide body of believers, he's asking us to connect with his heart the same way he connects with our heart. You know, he wants to share his heart with us in every way. The successes, the struggles, uh, the weaknesses, that, that the sufferings that he experienced in the human way, not related to sin. But I wonder, I'll ask this question before we pray together. In the midst of our own struggles that he can so willingly identify with, can we sympathize with the longing of his heart concerning his people, Israel? I hope that the answer to that for you is yes. And if it's not, I just want to say, keep taking it to the Lord. Don't feel any pressure in this moment. But I want to encourage you. We have a high priest who can sympathize, empathize, identify, connect with us in all of our weaknesses. I wonder if we can connect with his heart for his own people. Will you stand with me as I pray to close? Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you. For identifying with us as our high priest, we are so grateful. 
Help us, Lord, in these seasons and at this time, we need extra grace right now today. Lord, we, some of us are, are battling with things in our families. Some of us are just regular people with everyday problems. Jesus, you know what that's like. Come and touch our hurts. Come and minister to our frailties and our weaknesses. Lord, thank you for identifying with us in our suffering. And we ask that you pour out on us a confidence and a boldness to come before your throne of grace this morning, today, this week, this month, perhaps, as we're headed into the celebration of your resurrection. Jesus, we also ask that you would pour out in our hearts by your spirit, your heart for your people Israel. And Lord, I ask that you activate today your heart for your people in a deeper way for anyone who's willing to say yes. Lord, instill in us an unshakable love for the Jewish people that we might become the hands and the feet of provoking them in a holy way to jealousy by the love of Jesus that's been shed abroad in our hearts. Lord, we say we love you. And we thank you for your goodness towards us. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.